Yeah. That's my advice to you, Kyle. All right. Oh, man, Tim Hawkins' videos are hilarious, right? Things you don't say to your wife. And something else you don't ever come home and say to your wife, especially if she's in her 80s. Can't have children. You don't come home and say, hey, honey, guess what? We're going to have a baby. But that's exactly what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Well into their 80s, Abraham comes home after being out in the wilderness and meeting God, and God gives him this promise, you're going to be the father of many nations, and he goes home and he tells Sarah this promise, right? This impossibility. But why in the world would God choose Abraham? It makes no sense to me why God would choose someone like this right? I mean, God has a plan. We know the story. God created the heavens and the earth. It was good. Then he created man, and we ruined it. I don't have to, you don't even have to be religious to know that there's something wrong with the world, right? There's something wrong with the world. It's broken. We broke it. And God was like, okay, I have a plan how I want to redeem. I want to make right what is wrong. I want to fix what is broken. I want to do this plan. And so God devises this plan. I'm going to go into all the sinful people of the world, and I'm going to pull out from them one family. Now, not for the purpose of them being special or or God's only going to save them. No, he pulls out one family because it's part of his plan. He needs a family He needs them to have children, and them to have children, and them to have children, because then he's going to build a nation. And through this nation, he's going to bless the world. This is his plan. It's a good plan. It's a long plan. But that's sometimes how God works. And so he has this plan. He devises his plan. But why Abraham? Why Sarah? I mean, of all the people in the world that God could have went and chose, he picked an 80-year-old man and woman who is barren. There's a problem with God's plan. God's plan is flawed. It's flawed. It's an impossibility. They have two strikes against them. Strike number one, they're very old. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be having kids when I'm in my 80s. I know my wife doesn't, right? And the second strike is that they're barren. They've never been able to have children. Now, in that culture, this is a terrible thing because they saw it as a curse from the gods. People would avoid them. People wouldn't communicate with people wouldn't socialize with them because there was must be something wrong with you if you can't have children everyone's having children what's wrong with you god's got this incredible plan but there's this big problem right in the middle this big white elf this elephant in the middle of the room they're old and barren and god's plan is he's going to create a nation a family out of this old barren couple They can't have children. They're old. 
And then God comes into them and speaks to them and says, I'm going to make you the father and mother of many nations. Is this a joke, God? Are you slapping me in the face with this? What are you talking about? Can't happen. This is impossible, right? But it's not. And so God makes him the promise, and he chooses Abraham and Sarah. And they're old, but guess what? They're getting older now. They still aren't getting pregnant, and they're getting older, and Sarah's like, what's going on? So what do they do? They do what any good faith person of faith does when they believe something, but they're up against a struggle. You know, they get on their knees, and they wait on God. No, they don't. They do what most of us do when we get tired of waiting on the promises of God. We take things into our own hands. They make it worse. They make the problem worse. How do they do this? They bring Hagar into their family to be kind of a surrogate mother for the promise that God makes to them. They give up Sarah ever having children. They stop believing that God can make it happen, and so they go out in their own strength and their own will, and they try to make it happen. You know the story. If you don't know the story of Hagar, she was a maidservant, an Egyptian young girl, a maidservant of Sarah. At the time, it was Sarai. Her name hadn't changed yet. And she goes to Abraham, and she says, Here, we're t- I'm tired of waiting on this promise. There's no way, there's no possibility. It's impossible for me to have children. So you might as well just go and take Hagar as your wife. In that culture, they had multiple wives. And I want you to take her, and I want you to have children with her, and there you'll have your children, and there you'll have your promise. So Abraham does. He goes and he takes Hagar as his wife. He lays with her. She becomes pregnant. And then she becomes conceited. And Sarai becomes jealous. And now they've got this rift in the family. And this isn't really part of it, but maybe God wants me to say this. Listen, when you're not doing God's will, God's way, there will always be a rift in the family. Always. So there's this riff, and Sarah goes to Abraham and says, what have you brought into this house, right? Look what you've done. And he's probably like, you told me to. Here's the interesting thing. Abraham does not defend Hagar or her unborn child. He simply says to Sarah, okay, do with her what you will. And if you know the story, she, Sarai becomes so hard and so just brutal with Hagar that Hagar flees for her life out into the desert. And out there in the desert, in the wilderness, sitting there by a spring, an angel of the Lord comes to her and he blesses her and tells her that God sees you. And interesting, the only time that I know of Scripture that a woman gives God a name. El Royi, which means the God who sees me. Now, we've heard the name of God before with Melchizedek, 
the high priest of the God Most High. So God is the God of Most High. Now God is the God who sees me. So Hagar gets up. She goes back into the camp. She submits herself to Sarai, and she has the child. Ishmael is born. And there's been a rift between those people ever since. So Ishmael's born. And for 13 years, God is silent. He doesn't say a thing. 13 years. I mean, Abraham's getting into the habit of hearing from God and speaking to God. And they go out and do this thing and... God makes them this promise, and they don't believe that God can make it happen because of their circumstance, because of the condition that they're in, and there's no way. So they take matters in their own hands. They make it worse, and they have this Ishmael and this riff in the family, and then God goes silent for 13 years. I like to call it the wandering years. Not the wandering, but the wandering years. W-O-N-D-R. I wonder, Abraham... If we made a mistake, I wonder if God has left us. I wonder if we have a chance. I wonder if we've just ruined everything. We've ruined God's plan. We've ruined the promise. We've ruined everything. We've ruined our lives. And we feel like that sometimes. When God seems silent and we've taken matters into our own hands. The wonder years. I wonder if God is finished with us. But God, like he always does, comes to the rescue. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 says, When Abram was 99 years old, so Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. Can't imagine. But he was. Now, From the end of chapter 16 to the very first verse of chapter 17, he's now 99. So 13 years. You think he's given up on this promise? (laughs) When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, now listen, and said, I am God Almighty. We know about God most high. We know about God who sees me. But now God comes and nobody's giving him this name. He gives himself this name. He says, I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. I'm the God who bends nature, who takes the laws of nature and I bend them to my will. I am God Almighty. There's nothing that I can do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing I can do. Y'all know that song, right? Where's Pastor Andy at? God Almighty. I am Abraham. Are you done? Are you tired? Are you sick of not believing and trusting in me? I am God Almighty. (laughs) And yet you don't think I can do this. I think God presented himself to Abram as God Almighty because Abram needed God 
to do the miraculous. Abram needed to know that the fulfilling of his calling, the purpose of his life, that God had to do in Abram what only God could do, that God had to do for Abram what only God could do that Abram couldn't do. Abram was completely helpless and powerless, and God wanted him to know, I've got a plan for you, I love you, I'm going to enter covenant with you, but listen, you've got to know, Abram, that I'm the God Almighty. says to him, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. What does that mean? He means live wholeheartedly in that promise that I am the God who can do anything. Abram, your heart is torn. You're focused on the wrong things. Abram, you're not wholeheartedly following me. You're not all in on this promise. You're not all in on this, what I'm trying to do through you. But Abram, I need you to walk before me faithfully, and I need you to be blameless. That Hebrew word for blameless carries the meaning of wholeheartedness. God is approaching Abram after so many years. He's not given up on the promise. He's not given up on the plan to save the world. But he still wants to use Abram. He still chooses to use Abram. And he needs Abram to know, Abram, I need you to walk with me in faith wholeheartedly. Verse 2. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. God is saying, I'm going to enter into relationship with you, not because you're doing something but it's my choice, Abram. And I need you to trust. I need you to walk with me through this. And I need you to be all in on this wholeheartedly. But I still choose you, Abram. Verse 3, Abram fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. I think Abram finally realized that he could not do for himself what God could do for him. And when you come to the end of your rope, when you come to the end of your guessing and your trying and your whatever it is, whatever option you think you have in life, eventually you come to the place where you realize there's just some things I can't do in my relationship with God and my relationship with others, and you have to humbly fall on your face before God Almighty and acknowledge that God is the God who can do anything. God is the God that we can trust and have faith in. I think Abram humbly surrendered in that moment and fell to his face. He postured himself, and he hoped against hope that possibly God might still do the miraculous, that God might still be the God Almighty who can do whatever He wants, whether I'm 99 and barren or what. So now that Abram is in this right posture before God, God now can enter into this covenant with him. 
and he does. He says to him in verse 5, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. When Abram's mother uh, named him, she named him with the hope that Abram would be a good father. Abram means good father. But God says, no, Abram, you're going to be more than a good father. You're going to be the father of multitudes. I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Abram. I know it seems impossible. I know you can't do this. I know it's beyond your reach. But I'm God Almighty, and I can do it. God gave him a new name, and God made him a promise. Let me ask you a question this morning. Why do you think God was drawn to this couple? Was it their fruitful, bearing years that they had? I mean, God's plan was to create a family with kids and children and grandchildren and eventually a whole nation. Why in the world would God pick Abram and Sarai? Why choose the impossible? when you have so many other options to pick from. I do believe God chose them because they had faith. I really do. I think that Abram and Sarai had faith. They, tr- they believed in God. They had faith in God. They had more faith than most people did. They definitely believed in God and talked to God. I think God chose them for their faith. But they were not, let's just be honest, they were not the best of people. They had so many things going against them. Number one, they were old. Number two, they were barren. Not that being old is anything bad. You know what I mean. Being old to have children, that's, yeah, no, that's bad. You can't, no. They had so many things. But they weren't good people. If you look a little closer at Abram and Sarah's life and you follow them through the book of Genesis, yes, they were people of faith, but they were also selfish. They were conniving. (laughs) They did terrible things to their own family. Abram sent his wife, who had a child in her, out into the desert. So he could just make peace in the family. They did terrible things. They told these big lies that put other people's life at risk. Why? So they could protect themselves. They were people of faith, and I believe God chose them because they had faith, but they were also people who were selfish and conniving and deceitful and hurtful to others. Kind of like you and me. kind of like you and me. So why in the world would God be drawn to such people? Is it their goodness, their holiness, their ability to bring something to the table? Seems to me that Abram and Sarah were not enough. It seems to me that Abram and Sarah just weren't enough. It doesn't appear to me that God was drawn to this couple because they were the best of the best, the cream of the crop, the good amongst the, the best amongst the good, or 
the good amongst the bad, however you want to look at it. It doesn't seem to me that God chose them because they were good. And yet God still loved them and chose them. I think this story tells us this huge truth about who God is and his relationship to us. And it's this, that God is not drawn to our goodness, but God is instead drawn to our barrenness. And see, here you and I thought that God would only accept me if I was good enough. They weren't good enough, and God chose them. God is drawn to our barrenness, not our goodness. Their faithfulness and all that was good about them was not enough because they still had flaws. It is in their weakness, their barrenness, that God is moved to choose them. But why? Something else about God. He is God Almighty. There is nothing he can't do. God wanted to take somebody like Abram and Sarah, and he wants to take somebody like you and like me, and he wants to change that. And he wants to love us and transform us and help us to be better, to be in relationship, because that is better with him. He is the God who gives life, as Paul says in Romans chapter 4, He is the God who gives life to that which is dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This is our God. God already knows our condition. God already knows that He knows that we are not good enough, that we can't fix what is broken, that we can't fix what is torn apart. We can't correct what is crooked in our lives. We don't have the power or the knowledge or the goodness to do that. God already knows that we don't have the ability to make right what is wrong, but he loves us anyway. And so God comes to us. God approaches us, not because we are good, but because we are barren. (laughs) Nothing can live through me unless God does it. There once was a monk with an empty pot and a ladle. And he walked around the town with this empty pot and ladle in his knapsack, and he made his way through the village and asking townspeople to, for something to eat. He would go and knock on doors and say, do you have a crust of bread or just something from your table? And over and over again, people denied him, they re- ignored him, they just sent him away with nothing. And after he'd made his way through the whole town, he had nothing to eat but an empty pot and a ladle. And so he has this idea, and he makes this huge announcement to the whole town. Everybody come out at dusk to the center square in the town, and I'm going to make the most amazing meal, stone soup. Curious, the townspeople were like, stone soup? Doesn't sound good. But we're curious. And so dust came, and one by one, the people would come. 
And by, th- by, by dusk time, everyone was there. And the, the monk made his little fire, got his pot out, put his pot on there, poured water in it. The water started to boil. And then he reached down, he took a stone, one little stone, and he dropped it bloop, right into the soup that he was making. He stirred it, and it got to steaming, and he began to taste it, and he goes, mmm, that's good. He goes, but something's missing. You know what it needs? It needs a little salt and pepper, but I don't have any salt and pepper left in my bag. Immediately, a townsperson ran home, grabbed some salt and pepper, and came back, and they threw the salt and pepper in there. He stirred it up, and tasted it, and he's like, ooh, that's better. That's much better. Then he tasted it again. He goes, oh, yeah. You know what this soup really needs? Some sliced onions. Immediately, somebody from the town, they ran home. They said, I got some onions. And they ran home. They sliced the onions. They came back and they threw it in, stirred it up. They tasted it. He goes, oh, he goes, oh, that's so much better. And he kept doing this until the townspeople had brought carrots and potatoes and garlic and other seasonings and sliced meat until the pot was overflowing with soup. The monk set a table in the middle of the town square and they set out bowls and they set out spoons And everybody in the town came and sat and had their fill of stone soup. Hmm. Everybody was filled. And together they sat and they enjoyed an evening of laughter and camaraderie over this amazing feast of stone soup. An empty pot is an opportunity for God to fill us up and do something amazing. Perhaps you're here today, this morning, and you have nothing to offer God. All you have as you look back over your life is just pain and regret and mistake and discouragement. And that's all you have. Kind of like Sarah and Abram. When God called them to be the parents of many nations, all they had to bring to God was a barren womb and disappointment and old age. Not a very good combination for making babies. Maybe you're here and that's all that you have. You just aren't enough to make it right. Things are too broken in your life. Things are too gone. Things are too cracked and fractured in your life. And all you have is this disappointment. You're just an empty pot. A barren life, unable to give life. And what I say to that is good. You're exactly where you need to be. For you see, that is where God wants you. Recognizing down on your face, that He is God Almighty and there's nothing you can do to fix it. There's nothing you can do to enter into a relationship with God on your own strength, your own merit, your own goodness. But instead, He is the God who comes and does the impossible. 
He makes dead things alive. He speaks things into existence that were not there before. I want to introduce you this morning to El Shaddai. This worship team's going to come. We're going to close this service out this morning in just some worship. He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that weren't there. God knows you're not enough. Listen to me this morning. He knows you're not enough, but he loves you anyway. He knows that you will never be good enough, but he loves you anyways. God chooses to be in relationship with you, and all we have to do is acknowledge that he is God Almighty who can do the impossible. Jesus, however, was enough. He was the perfect Lamb of God. Jesus carried the weight that we could not. Jesus was enough. We just need to fall on our face, walk before Him with all of our heart, kind of like Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, If you want to follow me, if you want to be in relationship to God, if you want to know real life, if you want to know what it really means to live, then you got to die. Seems strange, right? But that's kind of what we have. We have to fall on our face, acknowledge, and as we follow Jesus, we'll learn that we need to deny so many things about us and take that cross up. Ourselves are now under the mastership of Him. And then you'll know life. Then you'll know what it's like to live. God's love, listen, God's love is not dependent on my goodness, but it's dependent upon my need. What do you need this morning? As we worship, I want to encourage you to posturing yourself before God. Surrender to Him. Invite him in. Acknowledge, God, I can't do this, but you can. I want to be in relationship with you. I don't know how. I'm going to follow Jesus and learn. Let's sing this morning as we worship. One.